0: Welcome to Live Well with Southwell. Southwell is dedicated to helping you be equipped with the best tools and knowledge to make sure you and your family live a healthy life. Live Well with Southwell features interviews with experts across many areas of healthcare and wellness. We hope you enjoy listening, and most importantly, living well. Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Liza Tillman, and today we are joined with Dr. William Johnson, an ophthalmologist who recently joined the team at TIFF Regional Ophthalmology. Dr. Johnson is here today to discuss glaucoma, a condition that damages the optic nerve. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Johnson.
1: My pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. So before we get started, like we always do, uh, we always like to get to know our guests a little bit better. So could you tell us about your family, where you're from, and your educational background?
1: Sure. So I'm from South Carolina originally, the upstate around Greenville. Um, and I went to Clemson for undergrad mm-hmm. and went to medical school in Charleston at MUSC and stayed there for residency and internship. And then went to Kansas City for a year to do a pediatric ophthalmology and strabismus fellowship. And then my wife, Laura, and I are happy to be here and Join the team. It's great to great to be in Tifton.
0: So, what did bring you to Tifton, um, and how long have you been with us at Southwell Slash Tift Regional? Sure,
1: yeah. So, I've been here since August. August third was my first day, yeah. and I responded to a, an advertisement on the American Academy of Ophthalmology Career Center, uh-huh. and it was certainly my wife and I were looking to be back in the southeast, closer to family and yeah. closer to you know where we're both from and more you know more acquainted. Mm-hmm. And it was a great opportunity, and certainly seem certainly I'm happy to help and fill a need here, which has been a great a great opportunity.
0: Well, we're so glad you're here.
1: Glad to be here.
0: So, can you tell us where your practice is located? You don't have to give the actual address, but um, and who else you uh, practice with?
1: <laughs> of course, yes. Yeah, so I'm with Dr. Wagonhorst. Um, the office is one of the few addresses I do know in Tifton, 1803 <laughs> Old Osceola Road. <laughs> it's right right across from the, the hospital construction site at present, but what will be the entrance.
0: Okay. And what services do you offer at your practice? And can you tell us what an ophthalmologist does?
1: Of course. Yeah. So we're both uh, comprehensive ophthalmologists. I did do a, a pediatric ophthalmology and strabismus fellowship, but my practice is mostly going to be comprehensive ophthalmology and then whatever pediatric ophthalmology and pediatric and adult strabismus is in the area. Mm -hmm. What is an ophthalmologist is a great question. We're eye care physicians. So we Mm -hmm. both went to medical school, went to residency, which is the process after finishing medical school that hones skills and clinical acumen to be, you know, an eye doctor. Mm -hmm. It involves both medical and surgical skills in terms of diagnosing people and seeing patients in the office, performing refractions, prescribing glasses, contact lenses, Medications for things like glaucoma and other ophthalmic diseases, and certainly doing surgery is a is a pivotal component of being an ophthalmologist that can take many different forms or a lot of different types of eye surgery. But an ophthalmologist is the one that performs eye surgery,
0: and that's done in our OR at TIFF Regional Medical Center.
1: It is, yeah. Okay. So they're, you know, you can certainly do ophthalmic surgery in an outpatient surgery center, um, and you can also do it in a hospital outpatient department as um, you know same day or outpatient surgery mm-hmm. the operating room at TIF regional is certainly well well equipped to mm-hmm. to perform ophthalmic surgery
0: yeah and i know dr wagonhorse is excited to have somebody else taking taking some of those surgeries uh, yes yes <laughs> That it's, load off it's of been them. great to be here yeah so now that we know a little more about your practice um, let's talk about glaucoma so can you tell us what glaucoma is sure yeah
1: it's a great question and sort of a you know, sort of a, a complex answer because mm-hmm. there's there's still a lot of research that goes into you know what is glaucoma, what causes it. The the best description or definition is that it's an optic neuropathy that has a characteristic pattern. And optic neuropathy just means that it's anything that damages the optic nerve and its function. Mm-hmm. Which you know there are certainly a long list of things that do that, and things that fit into a certain pattern can be consistent with glaucoma, which is unfortunately. Typically, peripheral vision loss, and then progression to central vision loss. Um, that's typically really only at the end stage of disease, unfortunately. And the damage that comes from glaucoma, or really any optic nerve damage, is unfortunately permanent and doesn't. You know, there's not a not a feasible way to do any transplantation or anything of of neural tissue on a on a clinically significant scale currently. It can be a, a frustrating disease because it's not something you know like if it was a skin abscess or something you can point to it and say look you know there's a there's a collection of of pus or something and that's mm-hmm. you know that's an abscess that you can see as opposed to you know glaucoma is really more of a constellation of of mm-hmm. findings and it's it's not just pressure pressure is sort of the number one thing that we can do to adjust the risk of progression mm-hmm. but it's certainly it's more than just that because so many things affect your your prognosis in terms of risk, because as I was saying, unfortunately, the damage that goes into glaucoma is permanent. So it's, it's all about prevention, unfortunately. And diagnosis is, is a, is a vital part of that because once you are able to diagnose or even diagnose that you're suspicious of it in somebody, Mm -hmm. it helps you to be more attuned to what are the elements that you can adjust, whether that's the pressure, whether that's, you know, even blood pressure, diabetes control, other things that can be, um, comorbid conditions.
0: That kind of leads me into my next question. So what causes glaucoma and are there any warning signs for it?
1: The causes, you know, again, the, the thing that we've, that we've known most for the longest is that elevated pressure tends to give you glaucoma Does damage, mm-hmm. but it doesn't necessarily come down to just the pressure. A pressure okay. You know, there's a normal pressure that's described based on a bell curve statistically, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean that two patients have the same pressure or need to have the same pressure. Mm -hmm. Some people are more prone to having glaucoma damage, even at a different pressure than another patient. So you can have, it's possible to have what would be called ocular hypertension. Mm -hmm. Similar to that systemic hypertension is your blood pressure being too high.
0: Yeah.
1: Ocular hypertension is your eye pressure is too high. Okay. And- it can be kind of a subtle difference that high eye pressure. If I was to say, discover that your eye pressure today was 35, mm-hmm. even though the normal range is 12 to 21 millimeters of mercury, 35 is high, but that doesn't necessarily mean you have glaucoma until okay. you can demonstrate evidence of damage to your optic nerve. It doesn't really count as glaucoma. Okay. You would be a glaucoma suspect because a pressure that high would really make you think that Mm -hmm. glaucoma could be something that you're dealing with. But it doesn't really confirm the diagnosis until you can show some optic neuropathy. And for that reason, some people, you know, can have a higher pressure than normal for years. But for reasons that are a little bit still to be determined, not everybody gets damage at the same rate or with the same pressure.
0: Okay. So there's no... To just the average person, who's who's, is there anything that kind of like shows up in your vision?
1: Great question. Like so in your and eye that, or anything that can be the difficult part of diagnosing glaucoma early, which is what our goal is, because yeah. if you're trying to prevent progression, you want to get it early. And the the insidious thing about glaucoma vision loss is that it's in the periphery; it's in it's toward the edges of your yeah. vision. It's not right in the center. Right. Something you know, other terms that are that are kind of somewhat well-known would be something like diabetic retinopathy Mm -hmm. or macular degeneration. Those are two diseases that affect the retina, but the most common reason people notice it is because it gives them blurry vision Mm -hmm. and that blurry vision is right in the center, right? Because that's where, you know, if you have macular edema, that's where you have, you know, it affects what your fixation point is Mm -hmm. as opposed to if you, you know, lose 10, 15, 20 degrees of peripheral vision because it's happens both slowly and it's not right in the center of your vision. Oftentimes people don't notice it. And so by the time it's, it's actually symptomatic in the majority of glaucoma patients, it's really late because it only affects your central vision at the very end of the disease process. And, or, you know, you can pick it up sometimes, unfortunately, in things like, you know, people haven't start having car wrecks because they can't see cars pulling out around them or they can't see to change lanes very well. Or you can see some secondary manifestations of peripheral vision loss, Mm -hmm. but often then it's still, well, Mm -hmm. why do I keep having wrecks as opposed to I notice that i have a tunnel of vision.
0: Wow. That's really scary. It is. And that's the,
1: you know, that's, that's one of the, you know, the, the next question is, you know, what can you do to try to prevent it or diagnose it? And the probably the best thing to do is to, you know, attend regular eye exams, because that's something that there are many characteristic things that we look for as part of a routine exam that try to diagnose glaucoma risk factors early. And, you know, knowing things like family history is important. If you know that yeah. you know, your grandfather, or your mother, or your brother, any family member has had glaucoma, then that can be helpful because it's, it's not so much like you can have a, you know, a, a genetic test swab and say, Oh, yeah. you will or won't have glaucoma. Mm-hmm. There are some genes described for glaucoma, but really not not in anywhere that's clinically significant to be able to predict it in individual patients. Mm -hmm. But if you know that your family member has glaucoma, it's important that you at least have a routine eye exam and let your ophthalmologist know, you know, what your history is. So that way, because that is a risk factor and it can be helpful as you're collecting risk factors and trying to determine, you know, what a patient's individual risk is of glaucoma. It's important to know that type of history,
0: I know a lot of people may have really good vision and and don't wear glasses, don't have contacts, don't go to the eye doctor because sure. they just don't really feel like they need to. Of course. um if you have good vision, at what point do you need to start going to see an eye doctor?
1: Excellent question. So you know if you ask if you ask a number of people the same question who do what I do, you probably will get a little bit of variations in a different answer, but most will will come up with something in the neighborhood of once you're after age fifty. It should be a yearly exam. Mm -hmm. And then before that, probably still every two or three years.
0: Okay. So you don't have to start too terribly young, but if you knew that you had a family history of glaucoma, maybe earlier, okay.
1: Right. I would say that, you know, that certainly affects people's risk or, Mm -hmm. you know, depending a different element of history would be like a, you know, a traumatic injury. You know, if you have a car wreck and you're, you know, you hit your face on on the dashboard and you have some, damage to the eye or you have bleeding inside the eye, Mm -hmm. those, you know, traumatic episodes can lead to glaucoma as well as a secondary cause. So it's important that each person's, you know, risk stratification for when to be seen is Mm -hmm. affected by both their personal history as well as, you know, general recommendations for the population. Okay. If there's really, if there's any concern, it's, it's just easier to be seen and, and know that you either, have a have a normal exam or anything else because it's not just glaucoma that you can find on routine exams. It's for sure. there yeah. are other things that you know may be asymptomatic or not causing you a problem yet, but that are important to know.
0: Well, and and I sound like a broken record because I say this pretty much every podcast episode that we have, but it's so important for you to see a family physician and to mm-hmm. get just annual visits for all these things. Of course, that you may not. You may not be having a problem right now, but that's why you go every year right. is so that you guys can track it and see and compare from year to year what the difference is. So we always want to see you before we have a problem, of right? Of course.
1: Yeah. We'd, we'd rather, yeah. rather have a, a warning sign earlier yeah. than having to be that you're having a problem.
0: Especially with something like this. We talked a little bit about it. Are there other risk factors for glaucoma besides just family history? Is there anything to do with gender, age, race, anything like that?
1: Great question. So, there are a number of other risk factors. Every population ethnicity has some element of glaucoma. There are, you know, some characteristic textbook examples like, you know, people of Southeast Asian or Inuit, like Alaskan Indian descent are more likely to have things like angle closure glaucoma, but it doesn't mean that if you're not in those two populations, you can't have it. Right. Can, it's it's something that, that cuts pretty pretty well across ethnicities there. Are, mm. I think it's it's probably more related to you know, individual risk factors of either family members Mm -hmm. or, uh, you know, things that you would never know. Like if you have a thinner cornea, the front windshield clear part of the eye, Mm -hmm. if you have a thinner cornea, you have a higher risk of progression of glaucoma because it artificially lowers the pressure when you measure it. And it's like the difference in pushing on a balloon or a basketball, Mm -hmm. you have to, to check the pressure. You can may have the same pressure inside a balloon and a basketball, but the actual force you have to used to check the pressure is different between the two. So,
0: and that's not something you can just look at your own eyes and, and find out. you have to get those exams to find that out. What can we do to prevent glaucoma? If anything,
1: that's a great question. (laughs) Uh, So prevention, again, probably the most important thing is to have some level of suspicion in terms of being a glaucoma suspect or Mm -hmm. having some, you know, family history, um, having a traumatic history and, there are a number of things that go into routine exams that try to help quantify, you know, people's level of glaucoma or not. And that's many of the ones we do in the office, um, including like a visual field test, which Mm -hmm. is a, it's sort of an interesting test. People, patients don't tend to love it, but it is useful because Mm -hmm. it allows for a quantitation of your peripheral vision. Mm -hmm. The sort of the general premise of the test is you are looking into what some people might describe as like a fishbowl and there are flashing lights in the periphery and the computer allows, you know, an aggregate of this test data to show exactly where you can and can't see in the periphery. Okay. And so that's certainly a, a very important thing to be able to quantify, you know, particularly like in the central 30 degrees of vision in each eye, how exactly are you seeing? And then there are other, objective measurements Mm -hmm. it's called an OCT or ocular coherence tomography it uses light to measure things like the retinal nerve fiber layer and you can measure the thickness of that and see how that progresses if there's progressive loss and particularly in certain areas then that can be more suggestive of glaucoma than a picture of the nerve alone Mm -hmm. although that is very much useful and oftentimes a, a significant part of diagnosis is the careful exam of the optic nerve
0: so, really, bottom line: get your eye exams right. Right, ex- exactly. <laughs> let you do I mean, the work and 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 make sure that we we're taking care of ourselves the way that that we need to.
1: Certainly, and you can even you know there are secondary causes of glaucoma like uncontrolled diabetes can give you yeah. can give you um, glaucomatous damage. Maximizing other elements of systemic health can be very helpful because anything that really gives poor blood flow systemically whether that's uncontrolled high blood pressure diabetes you know bad heart disease these are things that you know all the tissues in the body are are pretty highly dependent on oxygen delivery through the bloodstream so if you have poor circulation then there is an element of that that can contribute to glaucoma as well
0: we talked with Dr. Burns um, with Southwell Chiropractic last time about um, reducing inflammation in the body through like nutrition and things like that. That was more for pain, but I would sure. assume that reducing inflammation could be helpful in other areas or?
1: It's difficult to say that from a statistical perspective okay, based on research. Now, intraocular or inflammation inside the eye mm-hmm. can definitely cause glaucomatous damage, but that's not so much... Tied to diet, that's more related to either history of trauma or systemic okay. um, diagnosis, like sarcoidosis, or mm-hmm. you know other inflammatory etiologies that can affect the eye, but less so from a, a dietary perspective. I gotcha.
0: So, is there a treatment for glaucoma?
1: There are some treatments for glaucoma. That's certainly um, certainly good news considering all the yeah uh, all <laughs> the all the bad parts we've talked about so far. So the treatments. People like to to describe glaucoma as a sink and you can think about the pressure as the level of water in a sink. Okay. And if you have the faucet that's turned on, you have water being added, which is similar to the ciliary body in the eye makes the fluid that's in the front part, the aqueous. And you have a balance of inflow and outflow from the faucet and the drain. And the treatments are typically if you want to use the plumbing analogy, Mm -hmm. the treatments are, are targeted at these different areas. You can either attempt to turn down the faucet, Mm -hmm. which is what a number of, of eye drops do, and even a couple of different laser procedures. Mm -hmm. And you can try to enhance the activity of the drain either by making it be more efficient, trying to enhance the sort of What you could say, the diameter of the drain doesn't necessarily function that way in the eye, but the level of the illustration, you can make the drain bigger Mm -hmm. or you can create a new drain. And those are, to some degree, adequately illustrate the types of treatments that there are for glaucoma. The eye drops that we use, they can either improve the outflow, Mm -hmm. they can turn down the aqueous production, and then surgery typically addresses the outflow and trying to create a new passage of aqueous out of the eye. Some of the newer technologies that have been great are enhancement of laser laser technology. Mm -hmm. Lasers have been used for glaucoma for a long time, but specifically for treating mild to moderate, even severe glaucoma has been improved with something called selective laser trabeculoplasty. And that's a laser that is typically done in the office and it's, building on the foundation of argon laser trabeculoplasty, ALT, which is an mm-hmm. older procedure that worked well, but it had more side effects than SLT does. Mm-hmm. And so SLT has been studied a lot recently, and even instead of starting drops, people have laser treatment mm-hmm. with SLT, and they can keep them either drop-free or with fewer drops for even potentially years, and it's a repeatable treatment. Okay. The biggest downside of drops typically for patients is that they're every day. You have to remember them. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes people are on multiple drops and even multiple times per day for each drop.
0: Okay.
1: So it can be, you know, especially if you have other medications to try to remember, if you're trying to remember to put in six or eight different drops a day, which is what is pretty common if you have oh, wow. severe glaucoma, mm-hmm. then, you know, that, that can be a real burden. And, you know, some of them have to be refrigerated. Some of them, you know, you have the bottles are tiny. They have to be refilled periodically. Yeah. It, it can be a, a fairly a fairly burdensome component of people's treatment. Mm -hmm. Not to say that it's not something we use a lot because the risks of drops are very low. And whenever you're considering treatments, you want to know what are the risks, what are the benefits, what are the alternatives. Mm -hmm. And, but that's the nice thing about the laser treatment that has continued to evolve recently is it's, you know, very much improved from its original iteration, you know, decades ago, and it can really be helpful because if it's a you know one or two treatments in the office mm-hmm. spread out over a few months, and it gives you years of better control, yeah, or it saves you from having to have a traditional you know cut and sew surgery in the operating room, or adding an extra drop, or even keeping you off drops, it can really be a, a useful adjunct.
0: So you perform that in your office at TIF Regional Ophthalmology? We do. We actually
1: okay. we're excited that we've we have a new laser that was delivered a couple of weeks ago, and uh-huh. it it includes this among other functions that it will do. Um, so we're, we're very much excited to be able to incorporate this and offer this to patients so that it gives another modality for their treatment and it gives them more options than we had previously. So we're, we're definitely excited about that. That's
0: great. Not having to drive far north or right, south. They can just do it right here.
1: Absolutely. And, and like I said, it can it can really be useful in, in all phases of glaucoma, whether it's somebody who initially was diagnosed and the choices are you know, start one drop take it at bedtime in both eyes every day for the foreseeable future, Mm -hmm. Um, or have a laser treatment that takes, you know, maybe 10 minutes an eye in the office and that may be all you have to have done for up to years is is a great option. Or even, you know, at the unfortunate severe end of glaucoma, if it's somebody who's already on three, four or five drops, even medications by mouth for their glaucoma, the next step would likely be surgery that's a little bit higher risk, it doesn't mean you can't have a good outcome, but sure. we don't enter those types of surgeries lightly, Yeah, it might mm-hmm. keep you from having to have that more intensive and a little bit higher risk surgery.
0: Well, that's some really good news to, yeah. for us to end on, I think for sure, because um, that's a, like we talked about, this is kind of a scary condition, but it's so nice to know that there's sounds a, a semi-easy treatment to, to, to take care of it. So, Well, is there anything else you'd like to add that we haven't covered?
1: I would just say that it's been, been great to be here, and we're, we're certainly excited to see folks over in the office and happy to continue to take care of Tifton's eye issues, whether they're glaucoma or really anything else. We'll be looking forward to seeing everybody.
0: Well, great. Thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure to be here. Thank you. So for more information about TIF regional ophthalmology or to schedule an appointment with Dr. Johnson, you can call 229-386-2181. Thank you for listening to this episode of Live Well with Southwell. If you have a question for a healthcare expert or a topic you'd like us to discuss, send an email to info at Until next time, live well.